0: Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. The title of my sermon today is Taste Test. Taste Test. I want to read two verses to you. Start in Revelation. The book of Revelation chapter 3 says this. God's speaking to the church at Laodicea, but I believe it really can apply to any church and certainly the church in America right now. He's speaking and he says, I know your deeds. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. He said, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. And he goes on and he says, but you say I am rich. I've acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This is what God's saying. This is your state without me. And he goes on in in verse 19, and he says, listen, I'm telling you this because those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. Those whom I love, I'm honest with. And he he says this uh, in the following verse. He says, so be earnest and repent because here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. One more verse. Book of Psalms, Psalm 34, verse 8. It's a famous verse. David writes, he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I love that he throws the O in there. Oh, taste. Oh, taste. Mmm, Taste. And see that the Lord is good. A lot of people have a lot of opinions about God. But let me tell you the truth. He's good. He is good. And he goes on and he said, and blessed is the one. This is what true blessing looks like. Now, now, now cross post this back to, to Revelation where you say, well, I am rich. No, no, this is what blessing looks like. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him who's covered by him, who has, who has places themselves in his hand, hands. You say, I am wealthy. Is that blessing? I believe blessing is the goodness of God and the refuge of God and the protection of God for money can never bless like the God of the universe can bless. It cannot cover. It cannot protect. No lesser God can bless like the God that is our. God. He is good all by himself. And I love this invitation that David has to taste for yourself. When I was uh, younger, my parents brought me to Disney World. You know, I was thinking through 2020, one of the things I've realized that when I would daydream or when I would, you know, go into my uh, my escaping place, I would think about Disney World. I don't know how you have been coping with 2020, but this is how I've been coping. And I don't want no judgment here. Right? I want no judgment. This is a judge-free zone. That's what I, I, I've been thinking about Disney World. The, the last place that my wife and I were pre-COVID was we went on a trip to Disney World. I brought her there for Valentine's Day. Husbands, up your game. Up your game. And, uh, and that was like, that was in the pre-PC world, pre-COVID. And, and it was awesome. We, we didn't even bring our kids. We're those people. You know those millennials everybody hates at Disney? That's us. You know, and uh, we we had an awesome time. It was incredible. And and I would think back to that moment when life got tough this year. I would think back uh, <laughs> to to that escape reality. When I was growing up, my parents would bring uh, brought us a couple times to Disney World, and the worst Disney park, without a doubt, is Epcot. I don't know if you've ever been. But there's no there's no conversation. It's the worst Disney park. There's no rides. I don't know I don't know what they were thinking. It's just essentially. Bunch of themed gift shops around a little pond. You know, it's the worst. But what they did have at Epcot was they had a place where you could taste the sodas from around the world. <laughs> like who, who, How did that get through the approval process? And you would go into like this little bunker and it was like freezing cold and you would be able to take little cups and taste all the different sodas, you know, from all the different nations. And, and you know, like uh, for some reason, uh, Japan was watermelon and Russia was, I, I think it was carbonated vodka. I'm, I, but you go down the line, you know. And the ironic thing is, I remember when I was a kid, every single one was disgusting. Every single one. There was not one that was good. You would go to the next one with expectation. Like, oh, this is the one. And then be like, what is this? Even, you know it's bad if a six-year-old thinks carbonated sugar is bad. That's some bad soda. But uh, what's so funny is I-, I loved it so much. Every time, you know, my parents would say, where do you want to go? I'd want to go back to Disney because I'd want to go taste the sodas. That was everything. Right, Chris? Remember this? That was everything. And uh, what's so funny is, like, you could have, you- my parents didn't have to spend thousands of dollars for that. They could have brought me into the walk-in freezer at a 7-Eleven and had the same exact experience, you know. Taste for yourself. And if this is what David is essentially saying. He's saying, don't take my word for it. Taste for yourself. Taste and see that this is the essence of the Lord. This is the reality of God. This is his nature. You're not going to be disappointed. He won't leave you on your own. He's not going to let you down. You're not going to walk away with a bad taste in your mouth. You are going to say, the Lord is good his mercy is everlasting. He's faithful. He's good. What's so interesting to me, and this is such a famous verse, but what's so beautiful about it is the context in which it was written. David, in this moment, was on the run for his life. King Saul, who was his best friend's father, he should have had favor, but instead King Saul hated him, was hunting him down, trying to kill him. That's how much He was hated by his authority. So he ran to Gath, but remember who was from Gath? Goliath, and he realized when he got here, they hate me too, and then that king tried to kill him. He was being hunted by multiple governments. He was a man in exile. He lost his family, his brothers disliked him. He was penniless, poor, he was on the run. This is the moment where fear should overtake him. This is the moment where anxiety should begin to rule. This is the moment where he should begin to be bitter. He should begin to say, I'm anointed. I'm supposed to be the king. And all the kings hate me. What's the path to kingship there? They hate me. My people hate me. My family hate me. My friends hate me. And I'm I'm alone. I'm, I'm on my own. You would think in that moment he would say, God, where are you? But instead he says, but you know what? Here's the truth. Here's the reality. God is still good. God is still good. He's still worthy. He's still mighty. Because here's the reality. The difficulty of life does not override the goodness of God. The difficulty of life, I'll say it again, does not override the goodness of God. 2020 is not greater than God not greater than God, and I know it has exacted a price from us all, but I want you to please hear me. This year is not the defining factor of your life. It does not have the final word. The cross has the final word over your reality, over your future, over your circumstances. This may be the year of difficulty, but God is the God of goodness. And I want you to hear me say this. Your circumstances do not have to dictate your experience. Catch that. Your circumstances do not have to dictate your experience, which means that you can be in a bad situation and still have a good experience. You can be living in a difficult world and still be experiencing a good God. Look, you have two ways to approach this year and whatever is to come. This wave can crash on you or you can ride the wave. Either way, the wave is coming and the wave is crashing. But if you know that God is for you, therefore no one can be against you. If you know God's got your back, then this whole thing turns into an adventure of how God is going to show up. How will he rescue us? How will he intervene? How will he bless? Because his promises are yes and amen. And the difficulties have no authority over God's promises. And so your experience can be... Different, same circumstances as the person next to you. Same circumstances as your neighbor. And, and, and we've been in difficult, and look, we might even go into more difficult circumstances. This year might get a little bit more bumpy. The turbulence might hit the plane again. But I want you to please hear me. God's the pilot. He's in charge. We're not going down just yet. God's got us. So I guess my, my, my thesis today is simply this. God is good even when life is difficult. God is so good, even when life is difficult. And this is what David is saying to us. He's saying this is an invitation into your personal experience. He's saying, don't take my word for it. You taste and see. It's an invitation to an experience. He's not not just teaching you. He's not just telling you. A good cook won't just tell you how good their food is. They'll invite you to experience that food. David is saying, don't take my word for it. Taste for yourself. Choose the cup for yourself. Because the reality is this year, you're, you're, you're going to be able to choose what cup you're going to drink from. And many of the cups being offered to us by culture, society, circumstance, they are overflowing. Listen, the cup of fear is overflowing. The cup of anxiety is overflowing. The cup of bitterness is overflowing. The cup of tyranny is overflowing. But I want to tell you there's a greater cup. It's the cup filled with the goodness of God, filled with the presence of God, filled with the authority of God. And, and I don't know what the temptation to drink, what cup would be for you. You know, I, I know for me, the temptation would be to drink from the cup of frustration. That would be my, my difficulty, would to not be perpetually frustrated at everyone and everything, you know, I, I, the, the injustice that, that is so pervasive in the world right now could create my circumstances, the way I view things, where every day I'm angry at someone or something that's not right. And let me tell you, the, 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 the difficulty of that cup is every morning it can be filled again. There is enough injustice to fill that cup every single day. So if I choose every morning to make that my daily drink, I will be filled with that frustration and that anger and that hatred until it begins to boil over. I have to choose, no, I reject these cups, I reject this circumstance, and I choose joy. Choose peace. I choose forgiveness. I choose forgiveness because you will never feel your way to forgiveness. You'll never feel it. You'll never wake up one day 14 years later and say, I'm ready to let that thing go. I know I've kept a grudge all these years. I've hated them and I've hoped for their failure. But I think today's the day. You'll never feel your way. You have to choose. Make, make joy your rebellion. Make joy your rebellion. Rebellion. I think, it, oh, man, it would make the enemy so angry if you're smiling behind that mask while you're at the, at the store. No one knows, but it doesn't matter. I'm smiling. Why? Because I am not going to be oppressed into the dirt. I'm just not going to let that spirit push me into a submissive place. I'm going to stand up tall, and I'm going to claim God is my God, and I'm going to say, let circumstances come around me. But I know God, and God is good. What do the, the Hebrew children say? Even if he doesn't show up, he's still a good God. And so even if we are consumed by the fire, we'll enter into heaven no matter what. God's going to win in the end in this. Because, see, you can only have that mentality if you're living he- heaven downward. If you live earth upward, it's going to be difficult. But if you live heaven downward, if you have an eternal mindset, then the life begins to become an adventure of how is God going to show up? How is God going to show up? God is good. The reality is if we went around this uh, room And, and we, we gave the mic to every person. It's so amazing hearing the testimonies in the baptism uh, and, and people sharing the reality of God's goodness. There's so many testimonies in this room, stories in this room, of the fact that when the night grew darkest, God's brightness became, became apparent. When night became dark, Christ began to become bright in their life. So many testimonies in this room that will tell you it was in the moment in that doctor's office. It was in the moment when I was weeping alone at night. It was in the moment in the midst of that addiction. That's where I felt God. That's where I knew God. That's where I experienced God most heavily. I think of the the prodigal son. Where did he have a revelation? But in the pigsty. It was in the pigsty that he said, I know my father. My father is better than this. I'm here to tell you that in the midst of whatever you're going through, taste God afresh come to God anew because he is good. Despite it all, he's good. No matter what happens, he's good. No matter where our life goes, he's good. And when we get to eternity, we're going to be able to stand in eternal goodness. Look what the psalmist says in Psalm 100. He says, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is steadfast. We're the unsteady ones. We're the unstable ones. We're the up and down ones. We're doing Good Monday, Horrible Tuesday, Back Wednesday. That's us. That's not God. God changeth not. His steadfast love, it endures forever in his faithfulness to all generations. He's not going to skip our generation and he's not gonna skip your children's generation. He's gonna be faithful to a thousand generations. Why? Because he's good. It's his nature. Do you remember Jesus's first miracle? When he turned the water into wine. Do you remember how it happened? Jesus was at a festival, he was at a wedding in Cana. Cana was literally the middle of nowhere. We don't know who these people were. They were seemingly unimportant. It was just a wedding of normal people. But Jesus was at it. And you know, the problem began to arise halfway through the wedding. They ran out of wine. Now this, in that cultural time, would have been disastrous. It would have been the end of the festival, the end of the wedding, and it would have brought shame on those people that weren't prepared enough for the guests. They weren't prepared, and, and they would have been embarrassed. They would have, been, they would have felt exposed in front of their friends and their family. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes to Jesus, and she she tells Jesus, just simply this, she says, um, they have no more wine. That's it. You know when moms go to ask you something, but they're not asking you something? You know, they're asking you, but they're they're not asking. They're telling you something, but they're really telling you something else. Mary comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, they have no more wine. Can you do something about that? She knew who Jesus was. Right, right, right. So she was telling him, they have no more wine. Your mom ever speak to you like that? And, and, and Jesus' response is so funny. You just see the, you see the real relationship there. Jesus says, it's not yet my time. She says, mom. He says, it's not my time. What's he saying? He's saying, it's not time for me to step in. It's not time for me to show who I really am yet. God has an, e- an eternal schedule, and God is going to reveal himself at his appointed hour, at his chosen moment. The world had been waiting for thousands of years for the revelation of the Son of God, thousands of years for God to intervene. You would think that God's going to intervene at the most critical moment, the most crucial need. When, when the hurricanes are coming and the storm is crashing and the earth is quaking, that's when God steps up and says, I'm here, baby, peace. Peace be still. That makes sense for the revelation of the master of the universe. But Mary shows up and says, hey, we got a problem here. These guys are about to be embarrassed. And Jesus is like, this isn't how I planned it. But here's what Mary knew about God. Wow. Come on. He's good. So good. He cares about people and their small problems. Yeah. And, 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 and so she's bold enough to ask a request, God, will you shift your eternal cosmic timeline and reveal yourself early just to cover some people, just to help them in their time of need, just to not let them be exposed and embarrassed? This is what prayer is. Prayer is simply asking God, God. Will you shift your timeline to intervene right now? Will you help me? I don't know what your plan was, but God, can you, can you change the plan? Can you intervene? Can you move heaven and earth on my behalf? Jesus, let us know if you even just had a little bit of faith, you could begin to speak mountains out of the way. God is saying a little bit of faith and a little bit of request can move eternity. <laughs> Mary understood that. You have not because you ask not. She was bold enough to ask, God. Jesus, I need for you to intervene. And and Jesus, though he said it's not his time, he decided to alter his time frame, also that he could help people, because he's good. And he tells the servants, fill these vats with water, and he turns it. He turns the water into wine. That's his first miracle. His first revealing of himself is him intervening, even when he didn't plan it. And do you remember they brought the wine to the master of ceremonies? They they brought it to the the one. Uh, looking over all of, all, all of the festival that was going on, and he takes the water, turned into wine, and drinks it. Do you remember what he says? He says, this is good. Because whatever God does is good. You remember at the beginning, God makes the sun, the moon, the stars, and he says it's good. He makes the earth, he says it's good. He makes the animals, he says it's good. He makes man and says it's not good for man to be alone. The first thing God said was not good is isolation. It's the first thing God said is not good. So what did God do? He made a woman who was good and brought them together and then said, that is good. Whatever God does is good because his essence, his nature is good. He's worthy of your trust. He's worthy of your prayers. He's worthy of your pursuit because God loves you enough to alter the universe just to help you. The master tasted the wine and he said, you have saved the best for last. Because he said, normally what you do is you bring out the best first. He said, but now the order has been switched. Listen, we used to live under an old covenant. We used to live under an old order. We used to live under water that could not bring salvation. We used to, uh, Jesus said to the woman at the well, you will drink from this water. You will be thirsty again. He said, but I'm the living water. I'm the new wine. See, how it, used to, how it used to be was that you brought out your very best first, and in the end, you were left with nothing. But God came to say, no, I've saved the very best for last. That at the end of your life will not be the end of your life, but that God will bring you into eternity. That's the best for last. In your moment of extreme need, you got to remember this promise. God, you still have more to give. You still have miracles up your sleeve. You still have the ability to take this situation and change its elements, change water into wine, physically impossible, supernaturally possible. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can change our nation in a moment. He can change your family in a moment. He can change your mind in a moment. He can intervene with one request. And you say, no, it's physically impossible possible but he says it's supernaturally predictable get ready because when i intervene i'm going to bring goodness and mercy it will follow me all the days of my life and i will dwell in the house of the lord forever god is good and he saves the best for last and really the first miracle was all about jesus cuz jesus was the best that god had in reserve jesus is the best that god gave to us. But we're not the only ones that get to do a taste test. God himself also gets to do a taste test. You can taste from God and see that he's good. But now God says, but let me taste of your works. Let me taste of your deeds. Let me taste of what you are producing, the fruit of your life. And let's see what my opinion on it. He says, I know your deeds. I know your works. And he says that you are neither hot nor cold. He said, I wish you were one or the other. Wish you were that hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. What is God tasting? He tastes our works. That's where we have the problem. No, no, God, God, taste my intentions. I had good intentions. God, taste my plans. You, when this year's done, you won't believe what I'm gonna do for you. God, taste my plans. We always want to redirect God. No, God, God, taste my circumstances. They're difficult. Taste the difficult things that I'm going through, but God says, No, what I am going to look at, what I am going to verify, what I am going to refine, what I am going to sort through is your works. What are you producing with your life? With your faith? What does it look like? What does it sound like? What are your what are the overflow of of your heart? What what are your words? What are your actions? James tells us that faith without works is dead. You can say, I've got faith. But if you cannot show it with your works, then the reality is you've got no faith. Faith eventually comes out. Faith eventually shows itself. Faith has a nature to it. And here's here's the reality of God. God won't pretend. God will tell you right where you're at. In fact, God says, you know what? I wish you'd stop pretending. Be hot or be cold. Draw the line. But those of you that are in between, remember what, remember what uh, Elijah said. He said, how long will you waver between two different opinions? How long will you serve two different gods? How long will you listen to two different idols, two different prophets? If Baal is God, serve him. But if God is God, serve him. Joshua laid this same line out. He said, you choose whoever you're going to serve. But if, as for me and my house, we're going to have faith. God says, be hot. Be passionate. Be on fire. Be faith-filled. Be around faith-filled people. Be believing for the best. Be continuing in prayer. Be feeding your mind the word of God. There's so much noise and so much opinion. There's so much news that you could feed yourself with, but you need to feed yourself with the good news. Put the good news into your life. And what does that do? That, That heats you up. That sets your faith aflame. Paul says to Timothy, fan into flames the gift that's within you. Well, I'm gifted. I'm called. I'm anointed. I'm blessed. Remember, they say, but Lord, we're wealthy. But God says, I'm not looking at your monetary blessings. I'm looking right at your works. I'm looking right at your heart. Is it aflame or has it become cold? But God's real issue is with the people in the middle. His real issue is for us when we're in the process of backsliding. When we're not fully for God, but we're not against God. But we, we you know, we like church, but, you know, it's not priority. And, and we, we have faith, but right now we're taking a break. That's lukewarm. And here's the reality. God doesn't pretend. We pretend. God doesn't pretend. God's not fooled. God looks right at the heart. God sees. In fact, many times we're all wrong. Isn't it true? I mean, think about David. Go read the book of David. Every single person that had an opinion about David was wrong. Every single person. His father says, like, I, I don't even need to bring him in. Samuel looks at him, and Samuel's like, surely, God, this is not the one. The brothers are like, who are you? What are you even doing here? Goliath is like, what, what am I, a dog? he come at me with sticks? Who is this guy? Every single person that had an opinion of David was wrong. But God says, but I'm looking at his heart, and it reminds me of me. It's hot. It's on fire. It's active. It's real. God cuts right to the chase, and, and God is saying, I'm not looking for a lukewarm church. You know, there might have been a day or an hour where a lukewarm church was acceptable, where it was fine. But that is not this day. This day, we need a church that knows how to pray, Pray. that knows how to act, that knows how to serve people. I want you to know, even right now, our church is preparing to serve people. Because we're going to make sure, even through all that's going on, people are going to be able to have Thanksgiving meals. And I hope they can have their family over. But no matter what, they're going to have Thanksgiving meals. No matter what happens, no matter what comes, the church is preparing with food. Why? Because we aren't just going to have faith. We're going to have wisdom, and we're going to have the ability to work on, the behalf, on behalf of God for those in need. It's who we're going to be. That's what the church is doing, but what about you? Test your own heart. Is it hot or is it growing cold? Is it growing distant from the things of God and the people of God? Is it growing, is it growing hard or is it growing cold? Is it soft to the things of God or is it moving against the, thing, the things of God? A lukewarm nature of the heart, a lukewarm is a comfortable, convictionless Christianity. And God says no more of it. God says no more of it. Listen, hear me. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to be negative in this sermon. I don't want to be negative in this sermon. So I, I, I want to be careful what I say. But I want you to hear me. I think part of the process of what God is doing right now in 2020 is sifting whole churches whole churches will never open their doors again they'll never open their doors again and it's sad but also if god wanted them to open their doors he would have them open their doors god is sifting and he's saying if it's a comfortable convictionless christless religion i want no more of it i want no more of it anything that can be shaken will be shaken and anything that deserves to fall will fall and it's not that there's not redemption but hear me god is purifying his bride Because he wants a faith filled church. He wants faith filled people. Because God wants to present us to the world. And the church cannot be a poor presentation or poor representation of God. He wants to present his bride to the world. And so he's in the process of purifying his bride. And, and you're, in, you're going through that process. And I would just I would just challenge you, be very, very careful about the state of your soul right now. Because your soul is an open system. It is not a closed system. It is open to the atmosphere surrounding it. Let me put it this way. What is around you eventually gets in you. Yeah. So I want you to guard your heart. And I want you to... Filter the words that you are listening to and that your heart agrees with. You need discernment right now. You need discernment right now because your soul can begin to become lukewarm if you will listen to the words of lukewarm people, if you will listen to the report of men. Remember when they went into the promised land? Two came back and said, yeah, there's giants, but the land is good, and they're going down. But ten said the giants are too big. Yes, the land is good, but we cannot overcome them. Because Israel chose to listen to the 10 faithless people, they wandered for 40 years. Listen, you have to guard your heart so that you don't have generational repercussions for what's happening right now. I want to be with Joshua. I want to be with Caleb. I want to serve God. I want to be faithful. So you got to get around a good atmosphere. That's why we need church. I love virtual worship. It's fine, but it ain't church. There's something about church that stirs your heart back up again. You remember the two after they were speaking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, when Jesus disappeared, when he had dinner with the two, they said, did not our heart burn within us as he was speaking to us the word of God? There's something about worship that stirs your heart back up, stirs your faith back up. It's like God brings the fire close together. But listen, if you separate the embers from each other, they instantly begin to grow cold. But when you bring it together, your faith sparks my faith. That testimony releases faith in the room. Worship awakens your heart. Some of you are laughing. Some of you are weeping. Some of you are getting convicted. Some of you are getting encouraged. But all of us together are being ministered by God. We're catching on fire again. That is the beauty of the gathering. That's what happens at church. And I thank God. That we're still able to gather together right now because church is so essential to our heart and to our soul. So essential because this is where God comes and he speaks to us and he promises us. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. What's God saying? He's saying, I'm not mad at you. I'm not angry with you and I am not against you. I will convict you because I love you. Listen, correction means care. An undisciplined child is an unloved child. Correction means care. So God's going to come alongside, and he's going to correct you. And, re- and sometimes it hurts, by the way. And sometimes you get, you get mad at me, and, and maybe you're not really mad at me. You're mad at him. I don't know. Sometimes it's me. All I know is God will come, and he'll let you know. The Holy Spirit will tap you on the shoulder. And you think, and you, you blow it off. But the next day, the Holy Spirit will be right there, and he'll tap you on the shoulder. Why? Because he loves you enough to not let you slip into lukewarmness because God says it doesn't taste right it's not who you are it's not how I made you it's not what's really in you it's not who you want to be God says I'm not going to let you slip I'm going to challenge you I'm going to correct you and I'm going to encourage you because I'm going to set you on fire again why what's his goal he wants to bring you back towards him this is what he says he says so be earnest here's God's counsel so be earnest and repent Understand, he's talking to the church. He's not talking to unbelievers, he's talking to the church. He said, get your fervor back up and repent. Come before the Lord. And he said, and here I am. Here I am. I'm not far off. I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And I will eat with them, with that person, and they with me. What's that? But it's an invitation to fellowship. The door is always open with God. He says, I am right here. I am right here. Maybe you've been slipping into lukewarmness. God says, right now, I'm calling you back. Calling you back. You need to get back around the people that will light those embers again. You need to get around the word that will renew your mind again. You can pray in one moment. You say, well, I haven't prayed in, in three weeks. Pray again. In one moment, God says, you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.